Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. What a result we have to discuss today. A 5-0 victory for Mikel Arteta's side. Another performance away from home. We've completely obliterated our opponent. Arsenal going around the country at the moment and emptying football stadiums. That's what we like to see. We're going to break it all down and we're going to react to the result that we've just seen at, of course, the Etihad, where Chelsea have managed to hold Manchester City to a draw. All of that, plus more on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Happy Saturday evening. And it is a pretty good Saturday evening, isn't it? After um, the football that's taken place today. Okay, Liverpool won, but you can't have it all, right? Uh, Manchester City dropped two valuable points. Tottenham lost at home to Gary O'Neill's Wolverhampton Wanderers. And Arsenal have gone away from home, scored five, and made sure that they pick up another three points. We said it was a must-win game. This We said there'd be no excuses. We said that it was a game that Arsenal should win because of the difference in quality between the two sides. But I have to say, even though I was pretty confident and, and almost certain that we'd you know, probably come out on top, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see a 5-0 win coming, especially after we scored six last weekend. I thought, no, it can't happen twice. Surely, surely not. Um, hope everybody's good. Hope everybody's well. Thank you for joining me um, live uh, on the program. If you are one of the people that is joining us live yesterday, we put out the preview show, the preview show for the Burnley game. And it became apparent to me at about 6, 7 p.m., something like that, that the show hadn't pulled through on Apple podcasts. And I wasn't sure why that was, because I could find it on Spotify. I could find it on all the other podcast platforms. Obviously, it was here on YouTube as well for our YouTube viewers. Um, but I then kind of looked into it a little bit, and it turns out that there was some kind of issue uh, with Apple Podcasts yesterday where a lot of podcast feeds were not updating. That's what happened. Um, so nothing to do with me, but I do apologize for that because I know there were a lot of you that were looking for it. I did have a few messages yesterday from people saying, where's the preview show? Um, it was out. I had to kind of redirect you to other platforms, but there wasn't some sort of Apple podcast issue. I'm hoping we don't have that problem again uh, with this show when we release it in audio format. OK, um, I'm going to say a few hellos and then we're going to dive into today's game. We're going to break it all down. I have to say I woke up in a terrible mood today. I really, really did. I've somehow managed to really hurt my back. It's kind of the point in life where I've realized that I'm getting old. One of my kids dropped the toy. It rolled under the sofa. I leant forward to try and pick it up. And as I had to kind of stretch my arm to the right to kind of reach around to try and grab it from underneath the sofa, I just felt this twinge in my back. And last night, I was as stiff as anything. This morning when I woke up, I was as stiff as anything. Thankfully, the football's uh, eased my mood a little bit. It's eased the pain as well. It's amazing what football can do. Um, let's say a few hellos and then we'll get into breaking the game down. We've got plenty of time tonight. Don't worry. We've got loads to get through. Um, put your feet up, pour yourself a drink and uh, and let's uh, break this all down. Big hello to Lovely Lion, to Steve. We've got um, uh, Temi. We've got Clock in Seb, uh, who says, um, 
evening all feels like we've turned a corner and now know how to keep up the momentum weak from the bench. But when you consider this team is missing Timber, Partey and Jesus, I'm optimistic. Yeah, lots and lots of key players missing still from the squad. Yet Arsenal are turning in not just these types of performances, but producing these types of results as well, which is obviously great. Um, we have got Afsar in the chat. Um, we've got Jimmy, we've got Salah Hadin, who says, I guess there's traffic uh, on the man cave route. Now, I'll tell you what, what happened. I came down to the man cave. I turned everything on, was ready to go. And I thought, oh, I need a drink of water. And then I went inside and my kids were about to go to bed. And my son was saying, dad, 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 are you going to say goodnight? And I thought, yeah, come on then. Let me come in your room and give you a hug. Good night. Um, who am I to deny a kid a hug? It won't be long before my kids are stroppy teenagers and probably don't want to know me. So I thought I'd uh, make the most of that moment, but it did mean I was a couple of minutes late. So apologies. Uh, big hello to Nav. We've got Trev in the chat as well. Uh, Snipe.genius is with us. N17 Gunner, Jason uh, Mohammed joins us. Uh, Cesar is here. Osuo Aboneni is here. Obi Boyce, uh, Nilton Oliveira. We've got um, so many people joining us at the moment. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being uh, with me on this Saturday evening. If you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. If you're a regular viewer, listener, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a nice breakdown, lots of chat um, around the game that we saw unfold in front of us today. Arsenal 5-0 winners. Goals from Erdegaard, Saka with a brace, Trossard, and my favourite of the bunch, Kai Havertz. Because there were, there were people who took issue with the fact that I highlighted Mikel Arteta's comments regarding Havertz on the preview show. There was a couple of comments after we kind of finished up, people saying, the fact that you have to go that extra mile on every episode to try and convince us that Kai Havertz is doing good things is, uh, you know, is, is telling because what it means is that actually he's not really doing the business and you're trying to kind of force this Kai Havertz is a positive narrative down our throats. And I said at the time, and I remember responding to that particular one of those comments in the live show, but there was a few afterwards as well. I said, no, the problem is, is that a lot of people will only judge a player on a very specific criteria, whether it be goals, assists, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Kai Havertz got his goal today and he was heavily involved in the build-up in so many uh, of our goals today. I think if... If you're looking for an example of what Kai Havertz brings to this Arsenal team, if you're looking for a, a kind of breakdown of what the positives are of having the German in the starting eleven, what he offers from that left eight role when he's given that little bit more license to get up alongside the centre forward or, or, or false nine in the case of what we've seen today and, of course, at West Ham. But if you're one of those people that's been struggling to see it, sit down and watch the victory over Burnley back and focus solely on Kai Havertz. Do a bit of a player cam on Kai Havertz. And believe me, you will not find a better example of all the elements that he brings to the team. Now, people will say, well, it's Burnley, and they're not very good. And that's true. But that means that the qualities and the movement and all of the things that Mikel Arteta clearly values about the German are very, very clear for you to see. So if you've been struggling to see it, this is the game to watch back, I think. And then I believe that you will have a better understanding of 
why it is that Mikel Arteta wanted to bring him in, why he was happy to part ways with 65 million pounds of his transfer budget to get him in the door and why he picks him almost every game. Check it out. Okay. Um, how should we do this today? I haven't got a running order today. I'm a bit all over the place. I've, I've, I've sat down. I've literally pressed the go live button. I haven't even thought about what we're going to do here. But I think we'll break down the key moments. We'll go through the goals. And then we'll talk about some individual performances as well. Um, I do want to have a little bit of a, a rant, though, before we start. I think it's important that I have this little rant uh, before we start. Because just a few weeks ago, literally, as recently as that, I was on national radio with a very, very well-respected sports broadcaster, somebody that growing up watching sports and football in particular, I looked at and admired and still do admire in terms of, you know, how great he is as a broadcaster. I think he's fantastic at what he does. And, you know, there's been many, many memorable moments watching him broadcast around some of the biggest games of football and all the rest of it. But literally, we had a conversation um, on, on national radio. This particular individual told me that I was talking nonsense when I said that Arsenal's problem is not that they don't have a 20-plus goal sent forward. Arsenal's problem was that the build-up had slowed down a little bit, that it become a little bit too predictable, that the movement wasn't fluid enough, that we weren't moving the ball through the lines quick enough. And when we were doing that, we just weren't clinical in front of goal. Players that had previously proven to us that they can score goals for fun, players that had got into double figures comfortably last season, were just not producing at that same rate at that point. And I repeatedly said, it isn't as simple as going out in January and bringing in a striker. Firstly, because Arsenal couldn't do that financially. The PSR stuff we know has been a problem, not just for Arsenal, but for lots of clubs. But secondly, because you don't want to go and get someone just for the sake of it and compromise on bringing in a player that you really, really want in the summer, maybe because you've already put some of that money aside or had to dip into that money to fix things in the very, very short term. Sometimes you have to trust in the players you've got. Sometimes you have to trust in your methods and sometimes you have to believe that things are going to turn around. And that's exactly what has happened. Because five games, five Premier League games into the new year, Arsenal have scored 21 goals, which means they're averaging more than four goals per game. Not bad for a side that are going to fall short because they don't have a 25-plus goal man. It's, it's amazing for me how little football people actually watch and, and the way they can kind of leech on to these lazy narratives that get thrown out onto social media and then stand by them as though they're the gospel. It, it's amazing to me. I, I really, really, really can't get my head around how people fall into those traps so easily. Anybody who watched Arsenal, who studied Arsenal's performances during that period where things weren't going great, would have looked at it and thought, OK, with the exception of the Fulham game, it isn't going their way, but they're still performing. They're still doing a lot of the fundamentals that have got them into this position where we're now expecting them to win every week in the first place. They're still creating chances. We just weren't able to convert. And I was told, well, this is Arsenal Football Club. They've got loads of players that they can offload to bring in a striker. And I said, it ain't as easy as doing that in the January window. Because... 
in order to offload someone and get a significant amount of money. And guess what you need? You need a buyer. And given the PSR stuff and the fact that it's impacted the Premier League in general, that was never going to happen. Mikel Arteta's trusted in the players he's got. He's trusted in the squad that he's got. He's trusted in a group that he's, you know, developed a lot over the last couple of years and believed all along that they would turn it around and all along that they would find that finishing touch again. And it's come flurrying back, probably at the right time now. 21 goals in five games. Not bad for a side that can't score goals, isn't it? We've gained 19 on our goal difference. And we've got 15 points out of 15 since the turn of the year in the Premier League days. That is fantastic. Brilliant. Let's start off with how the game begun. Um, I was watching this one with my dad today. I didn't travel up to Turf Moor. I returned uh, to the family home, the San Simeu, as it's uh, known among my friends, uh, to sit and watch the game. And um, we were, you know, we were talking about it before kickoff. We were talking about the fact that the way Burnley play might actually suit us because we expected Burnley to be quite aggressive and we expected Burnley to want to bring the game to Arsenal because that's what they've done under Vincent Company. Now, it hasn't always worked for them, clearly, because at times, you know, they've they've lacked quality in the final third and defensively, they've not been up to it. And given the spaces and the holes that they leave and the high line that they play with because of their aggressive front-footed style, when they come up against quality opposition, they invariably get torn apart. But I remember sort of two, three minutes into the game looking at them and, and I turned to my dad and I said, we're going to be all right today. And he said, what makes you so sure? And I said, well, look how aggressive they are. Look how high they're pressing us. Look how keen they are to kind of make a dent at that end of the pitch. And we've got the quality to play through that. And we've got way too much quality on the pitch not to score. And after four minutes, Arsenal break away down the left-hand side. Gabriel Martinelli uh, with a good run. And then he cuts the ball back to the edge of the box. And it comes to Martin Odegaard, who for me was majestic today. But we'll talk about his overall performance in a bit. I just want to focus on that goal solely. When that ball comes to him, it's a lot harder technique to finish that the way he does than it looks. The ball kind of sits up for him. And it, it, it drops nicely for a kind of half volley, which he executes to perfection. And it's literally like an arrow into that bottom corner. Goalkeeper, no chance. Superb finish. And that is how you suck the life out of a, an away stadium. You travel to Turf Moor. Yeah, you know, it's not the most lively of places in the Premier League, I would argue. Um, they're not going to be the most buoyant of crowds given their struggles this season. But any kind of enthusiasm that had been developed by those Burnley fans after, um, you know, the first two, three minutes where, OK, they didn't really make anything happen, but they were pressing aggressively and they showed good energy. For Martin Odegaard to produce a bit of technique like that, it just sucked the life out of the place. And what that does is kind of hit a team that are low on confidence really, really hard because it's almost like, you know, you've G'd yourself up to go out and play this game. You've kind of got yourselves into a mental state where you believe you can compete. You're fired up. You're ready to go. And bang, something happens really, really early on in the game to remind you 
that this team that you're up against today are levels, levels above you. And it's a brilliant way to start the game. We then dominated the rest of the first half, but it took us until the 41st minute to get that second goal. And I have to say, in between about minute 20 and minute 41, when Bukayo Saka converted the penalty, I was confident that we would score again because of the spaces we were finding, because of the runs we were making, because of the sort of interchangeable nature of our forward line and the midfield joining in and all the rest of it. And we'll come on to talk about that stuff a little bit later on. Do you know what? I'm going to um, make a note on the pad in front of me to make sure I don't forget that because, as I say, I haven't got a running order today. Terrible. Um, but I was confident we would score eventually, but I was kind of getting a little bit frustrated that we hadn't managed to find that second one, in my opinion, before the break. And then, of course, we get one four minutes before the break. Again, it came from a Kai Havertz run from deep, getting in behind. Arsenal picking him out when it comes to Leandro Trossard. He manages to take that touch, take it away and out of the reach of the defender who comes across with a challenge and, and concedes a penalty. Bukayo Saka steps up, dispatches it brilliantly. And again, we saw that kind of swapping of the taker because at one stage it was Martin Odegaard who had the ball under his arm. Then Bukayo Saka took it on and he finished it really, really well. Then the second half starts. And you think, well, you know, keep it tight. First 10, 15 minutes. Don't give Burnley any encouragement. Barring a meltdown, barring a disaster, we should be on our way to another important three points. And we go out there and we start like a house on fire again. The Martin Odegaard pass for this Bukayo Saka second goal is a top quality piece of skill. And I'll explain why. When Martin Odegaard plays that ball, at the angle that he does, he gives Bukayo Saka, based on the weight and the direction of the pass and the angle of the pass, he gives Bukayo Saka options. He puts it into Bukayo Saka's path in such a way that coming in off that right-hand side, if he just wants to open up his left boot and try and guide it into the far corner, he can. Such was the angle on the pass, the weight on the pass. It's got the kind of weight on it that means he can just run straight onto it. He can take it in his stride. He's also got the option to take a touch, which he does in the end. And once he takes a touch, of course, the defender gets back. And what does he do? He goes on the outside. And this is something that Bukayo Saka is getting better and better at. When we were struggling, when we were finding it difficult to break teams down, one of the things that people constantly pointed at was the fact that we've got two wingers a left footer on the right and a right footer on the left. And whenever we work the ball to them, it's pretty obvious, actually, what those guys are going to do with it. They want to eventually work it onto their strong foot to try and get a shot off. And I actually think one of the noticeable changes since we've come back from Dubai has been that both of them have been a little bit less predictable in that they are far more willing now and confident in the idea of going on the outside. Martinelli, to be fair, has gone on the outside more in the past than Saka has because he backs his pace and he backs the fact that he can get around the ball once he's beaten the man. And if he needs to use his right foot, he can. Saka, not so much. Saka has been someone who's tended to cut inside. But since Dubai, we've seen him, I think, be a lot more, A, confident, but B, willing to kind of take the ball on that right foot of his 
and get a shot off. He scored a good goal at Nottingham Forest with his right foot and he scored a good goal today. And sometimes, you know, people say when you get into those situations, um, when you get into those positions from which Saka scored his second goal, Arsenal's third, you should always be looking to go back across the goal. You should be looking for the far post. That's how you should strike it. When I was learning to play football and being coached by some really, really great people, I was a forward. And it was always, when you get into that kind of situation and the angles against you, go across the goal. Because if you go across the goal, you might drag it slightly wide, but you might drag it into an area where somebody else um, can uh, can turn it in, where you force a save out of the goalkeeper and the ball drops to someone else. What I love about Bukayo Saka, and, and I think there are a few strikers over the years that have been really, really good at this. I love this idea of, yeah, you know what? I will go across the goal if I think the angle's right. But actually, at times, I'm going to opt for power more than precision. And I'm going to try and hit the roof of the net at the near post and make the goalkeeper work that way. You know, Sergio Aguero, I think, has been pointed out uh, by Ian in the chat, used to do that really, really well. And it's great to see Bukayo Saka showing a bit more variation, not just in the build-up, not just in the phase where he's taking on the man or trying to create space for that shot, but then different types of finishes, different executions. It makes you unpredictable and it makes you much harder to defend against. And at 3-0 on 47 minutes, you knew the game was done and dusted. On 66 minutes, Leandro Trossard scores. He probably could have scored a couple of times, actually, um, before he did. Another really good performance from him. And I want to talk about how interchangeable that forward line was and stuff, as I mentioned, in a little bit. Another really good performance from him. And then to the icing on the cake for me was Kai Havertz scoring. And I'll tell you why. I've already told you why. Earlier on, I talked about, you know, people not wanting to give him his flowers, not wishing to give him the praise that he deserves. In my opinion, people choosing not to study the game properly and analyze the game with any great depth or detail and instead look at basic statistics like goals and assists, judge him solely on that. Well, he's got five Premier League goals this season, which isn't bad at all for someone who's played the majority of his um, time at Arsenal so far as a, a midfield player. It's not bad at all. And the way he took that goal, I mean, people always say, oh, he doesn't look very confident. He looks a bit languid. He looks a bit lazy. He doesn't look all that interested. I'll tell you what, once he brought that ball under control, his eyes lit up and he poked it through the legs of the defender and the finish with his weaker foot was really, really good as well. That was the icing on the cake for me because his performance was as good as pretty much anybody's in an Arsenal shirt today in terms of what he brought to the table and his impact and effectiveness. And I know that had he not scored, we'd have had people again saying, oh, here we go. Arsenal scoring five, but Kai Havertz didn't get any of them. That, that's the kind of lazy analysis and narrative we would have got from people. So I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted that he was able to find the back of the net and get in on the scoring act as well. Going to take a really, really short pause. When I come back, we're going to break down some individual performances. We're going to talk about Mikel Arteta's system, um, which seems to be more fluid now than ever. We're going to do all of that after this very short pause. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Welcome back to the show. Let's check in where we're at. 
um, in terms of likes at the moment. You guys know, I tell you all the time, how important likes are uh, when you're watching us on YouTube. We've got 102 on the board. But looking at how many of you are with us, there's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 300 um, on the board so far. Please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. If you're uh, listening via the podcast platforms, please do leave us a review as well. Um, if you are a live viewer, we do have a poll running at the moment, which is who was your man of the match today? Uh, I've put Saka, Odegaard and Havertz as options. And I've also put the option of somebody else. If there is somebody else that you want to nominate, that you want to put forward, please do um, add their name in the live chat. And we'll, we'll do that discussion a little bit later on in the podcast um 227 of you have voted so far there is one man he's way out in front uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later okay if i have a look through the arsenal team today it, you know what let's take it back a little bit i know i'm jumping around a little bit in comparison to how we kind of normally do these shows but if if we then you know we've talked about the goals if we rewind it back to the starting 11 i said to you guys that i wanted to see an unchanged side and i kind of hoped that we'd see a few more of our injured players returning to the picture, at least, and returning to the squad. Unfortunately, that wasn't really the case. Emil Smith-Rowe returned, of course, um, but we didn't get two or three back, which is kind of what I was hoping for. So an unchanged 11, Raya, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Kivio, Odegaard, Rice, Havertz, Saka, Trossard, and Martinelli. For me, I think there were a few real standout performances that I want to kind of just deep dive into a little bit. I want to begin with Jakob Kivior because I've talked before about the fact that I just don't think that this guy's a left back. I, I, I don't. I think he's a really good defender. I think he's a really good centre back. And I thought that at times when we'd thrown him into that left back position, again, because of injuries at the end of the day, I thought there were times where he looked really shaky, really uncomfortable. And I was worried about him playing in that position. The improvement though, in Jakob Kivior over the last few weeks has been incredible. And it feels like he's finally, finally figured out, A, how he can play that role, B, what that role entails, and, and C, how he can make sure that he protects against his weaknesses, because as I say, it's not his position being exploited. I also think you have to give the manager immense credit here as well, because what the manager has done, especially in the last two games, so West Ham away and Burnley away, is rather than asking Jakub Kivior to be the defender that steps into the midfield in the build-up and vacates that area, he's looked at it and gone, he is a centre-back. He probably isn't as versatile as somebody like Ben White, for example. I'm better off asking Ben White to play that slightly more sophisticated role. And I'm better off asking him to be the one that steps into midfield, given it's a position that he's got experience of playing in before. And that's what he's done in the last two games. And that has done Jakub Kivior the world of good. Now, to be fair to Kivior, he was brilliant when he came on against Liverpool at half-time, I thought. But in the West Ham game um, and in this game, I think he looked even more comfortable. Now, it's easy to say that in games where we've kept clean sheets and you're going to look at it and go, well, look, we played against opposition that weren't very good on the day. We ran out comfortable winners. Why are you giving Jakub Kivior so much praise? But I just think there's a, there's a confidence about him now. There's, there's something about Jakub Kivior right now that I think um, wasn't there maybe a few weeks ago. You know, that, that seems to have kind of grown and developed in terms of his 
you know, his demeanor. When you're feeling confident, you're going to try different things. When you're feeling confident, you don't panic. It can make the world of difference to your performance levels. And I just think we're starting to see the best of Jakub Kivio. In fact, let me retract that. We're not seeing the best of Jakub Kivio because he's a centre-back by trade. But we're starting to see a much better version of Jakub Kivior, um, which I'm really, really pleased about. Also as well, playing that position consecutively over a run of games has obviously had an impact too. And M points that out in the chat as well. It does make a difference. You get used to it. You get into the routine muscle memory and all of that. It is a thing. Um, and, and habit, of course, you'd start to develop the right habits, being in the right positions for this phase of play, being in the right position for that phase of play. And I think with the decision to be sort of flipping the side from which we invert and saying, no, Ben White, you do it, and asking Kivior to then tuck in alongside Gabriel and Saliba as a third centre-back, I think it just suits him a lot more. And that's good management from Arteta because he's seen something, he's realised it's not really working. And rather than just saying, nope, I don't trust Jakub Kivior and so I'm going to try and find an alternative solution. And I, I I will accept that Mikel hasn't had that much choice at the minute because of the injuries that we do. He's gone, no, I do believe in Jakub Kivior. I trust in Jakub Kivior, the footballer. I think he's got a lot. Um, to offer, and I think he was a, a really, really worthwhile sign-in. But something else needs to give in order for me to get the best out of him. And I love that the trust remains in Jakob Kivior, and rather than it, it, it have come to the point where Mikel goes, uh, I look at Kivior, you know, he's had a few, a few appearances. Okay, he's been out of position, but he hasn't filled me with any great confidence. Is he really the one for us? Instead, he's gone, no, 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 no. He's got a very, very valuable skill set. He's got a lot to offer. And so perhaps he's not the problem. Perhaps I need to start looking elsewhere. And I need to start figuring out what I can do with regards to the shape and, and with that specific role in order to get the best out of him. And he's made that tweak. And I think it's, it's worked really, really well. If we uh, take it forward into the midfield, I thought that Martin Odegaard was back to his absolute brilliant best today. I highlighted the technique for the first goal. I mentioned, uh, of course, uh, the brilliance of the pass to set up Bukayo Saka, but he was just majestic every time he got the ball. Spinning on a sixpence, as I say, Martin Odegaard can always do. Working incredibly hard for the side, um, drifting and ghosting into spaces that Burnley were just tearing their hair out um, when they'd see him turning up at those points. He was just phenomenal from start to finish, a real captain's performance. And he's had his critics this season, Martin Odegaard, and I think at times it's been fair, but I think you also have to put into to context or, or, or take into account the context, which has been that he's not always been fit this season, that the team hasn't always been as functional this season, that Saka hasn't been as on it at times, that Martinelli hasn't been as on it at times, that we haven't had Gabriel Jesus lots of the time, that his role has changed a little bit as well. That's, that's the point that I think people always miss about um, Martin Odegaard. I think when you when you think about the role that Martin Odegaard played last season, it was very much midfield three, Partey at the base, Xhaka to the left, Odegaard to the right. But when Arsenal had to revert into a defensive shape, Martin Odegaard, although he works incredibly hard, was the last one that you were going to ask to be a bit more conservative. If any of the two eights last season were going to drop 
deep alongside Thomas Partey and support him and create a double pivot in defensive situations. It was always going to be Granit Xhaka. And that gave Martin Odegaard a lot more freedom. Since Xhaka left and Havertz has come into the midfield, and I'm going to say Havertz because he's the one that's played there the most, what's happened is that Odegaard has had to, I think, adjust his own role. All of a sudden, you've got a striker, essentially, playing in the midfield as well, whose instinct is going to often be to make that run to get up alongside the centre forward. And not just when we've played with the false nine in recent weeks, but even when Jesus is playing as the nine, Havertz is instructed to do that. He is instructed to get forward nice and early. And that's meant that, that Martin Odegaard's had to be a lot more alert and a lot more aware of the situation that he's leaving his number six in. If the other eight isn't going to cover in the way that Granit Xhaka did, Martin Odegaard has to be on hand at times. And what Mikel Arteta has managed to do over the last couple of weeks by pushing Ben White into midfield, by playing with the false nine up front, okay, it's because Jesus is injured. But what that's done is it's just seen a little bit of a shift. Ben White coming into the midfield now means that, of course, um, Declan Rice gets that little bit of extra support, which means that the back line gets that little bit more protection against the transition. And having Kivior at left back, who is an actual defender rather than Zinchenko and can tuck in to that three and make it a compact defensive three of three really good mobile solid centre-halves, adds extra stability. So you've got the stable line at the back. You've got White stepping into midfield alongside Declan Rice. That then means that we've got that defensive five in place against the transition if we lose the ball. And so Martin Odegaard has had the shackles taken off again. And it's Martin, get up alongside the forward, whoever that is on that day. Make yourself a part of the forward line, lead the press, etc., etc. And we're starting to see the best of Martin Odegaard again. These things, little bits and pieces in your system, they can have knock-on effects on other players. Team chemistry is huge. Finding players that complement each other is huge. And we're looking really, really good at the moment. Really, really good. I thought Kai Havertz's performance was a standout today as well. Um, I would probably go as far as saying it was his most complete performance in an Arsenal shirt. I think he's been great um, at other points in an Arsenal shirt. I think there have been some really, really good games from Kai Havertz when he's played at centre-forward. I know a lot of people disagree with that. And the reason they disagreed and pushed back when I said that was because they'd say, well, if it was the perfect centre-forward performance, he'd have scored a goal. Well, today he got that goal. So that's why I use the term complete when I'm describing his performance today, because he was a provider. He was a, a facilitator. He created spaces for people, worked incredibly hard, got up and down the pitch used his physical presence when he needed to, but also topped it off, crowned it off with a goal. And that makes it a far more complete performance, doesn't it? Saka, brilliant, running out of superlatives for the guy. Trossard, brilliant again, in my opinion. What a signing um, that's been. Leandro Trossard. To think, to think that we were going to try and spend, let, let, let me rephrase this, let me do this properly. To think that Arsenal were going to break the bank for Mikhailo Mudrik, that we were all upset when that deal fell apart or when Chelsea came in and essentially gazumped us, I should say. To think that we were all annoyed and frustrated by that 
but it pushed us into going and getting an unhappy Leandro Trossard who'd fallen out with Roberto De Zerbi at Brighton for the price that we paid. And now you look at the results we're getting out of him, the performances we're getting out of him, the contributions that we're getting out of him. It makes you think sometimes things happen for a reason. Arsenal could have signed Michalo Mudrik for 70-odd million, which is what Arsenal were rumoured to be willing to have paid at that time. You think about that. Would we be having the same conversations that Chelsea fans are having now about Mikhailo Mudrik? I'd argue he'd have done better at Arsenal than he's done at Chelsea, but even still, man, like Trossard is a, a ready-made player at this level. You know, he's, he's quality. He's a, he's a difference maker. He's a game changer. He's versatile in the roles that he can play. Playing from the left, no problem. Playing from the right, no problem. Playing as the force nine, no problem. Playing as an attacking midfielder, no problem. When you think about how that all kind of happened, you know, on the one hand, you want to give Edu and, and Arteta credit for, for going, yeah, Andrew Trossard's available, let's get him. But we know it was the second choice. But what a second choice it was. And sometimes these things, they work out for the best, don't they? Um, okay. Those are my thoughts on a few individual performances. I'll give you guys my player ratings now as well. And then we're going to take some of your questions uh, from the live chat. I'm uh, really, really interested to hear from you guys. So don't go anywhere. Really, really short pause and then player ratings will run through the starting 11. David Raya, we'll give him a 7 out of 10. Um, didn't do anything wrong. Didn't really need to do much. Uh, ben White. I'm going to give Ben White a seven and a half out of 10. I liked the fact that, you know, he was constantly inverting at times when Saka was coming inside, he was going and playing wide right as well. And I thought there was a really good variation to his game. He must have covered a hell of a lot of distance today, Ben White. I haven't seen the statistics, but I'm glad that he got the opportunity to come off and have a bit of a breather as well ahead of our trip to Porto. Uh, Saliba, I'll give him a seven and a half. Gabriel, I'm going to give an eight. Uh, love Gabriel. I, I think at the moment he is the centre half that is shining brightest in this pairing. And that's mad to say when you think about how good William Saliba is. I just think in recent weeks, Gabriel's just kind of stepped up and, you know, taken on that mantle as the leader of this defence. He's a lot more aggressive in his style than William Saliba. And Saliba certainly looks a lot more elegant and at times, I'd go as far as saying, a lot more classy. But that that can sometimes detract from how good Gabriel is. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily fair. Uh, Jakob Kivio, I'm going to give him an eight as well. I thought he was really, really good. Midfield, I'm going to give Martin Odegaard a nine out of ten. Declan Rice can have an eight and a half out of ten. Kai Havertz uh, gets a nine out of ten for me as well. Saka. I'm going to give him an eight and a half. Martinelli, I'm going to give him an eight. And Trossard, I'm going to give him an eight as well. Um, those are my player ratings. Let me know uh, if you disagree with any of those, uh, of course. Um, I'm not going to bother going through the subs. Nobody came on and played more than 20 minutes or so. Nelson came on. Nketiah came on. Cedric Suarez came on. I said this after the West Ham game. I said after the West Ham game. The fact that we'd brought on Cedric and Elneny at the end of the game and nobody complained, it kind of said it all, didn't it, about how good we were um, and, and how much everybody enjoyed the performance. Um, in terms of our man of the match poll, you won't be surprised to hear that Martin Odegaard is winning this and he's winning this really, really comfortably. We're going to end the poll now. The results are 
Odegaard with 69% of the vote. There's a good 350 of you that have taken part in this poll. So it's a pretty good sample size. Saka in second with 19%. Havertz has got 10%. And 2% of you voted for somebody else. So yeah, Martin Odegaard wins the Chronicles of Aguna Man of the Match Award. <laughs> okay, guys, very, very short pause again. And then we are going to do your questions for the remainder of the show. And we've got plenty of time. There's no rush. So get them in and we'll work through as many of them as we possibly can. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna Pop. Okay, 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 okay. Let's uh, have a look at uh, some of your questions, comments. Uh, really looking forward to diving into these. Uh, Dave Atkinson says, why do people give Liverpool all the credit for all the changes they made in their midfield when we have also made major changes in ours and Havertz is learning a completely new position? You're absolutely right. When people look at this Liverpool team, they go, oh, it's Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool 2.0. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. Look at how he's managed to turn it around. I guess the only difference, Dave, is that last season, Liverpool were really poor. And at, at least in the first half of the season. And so I guess the reason they get so much praise this year is because they've taken a step forward. Whereas with Arsenal, maybe when we weren't looking as formidable as we are now, and, and look, I'm, I don't want to be that guy that says, oh, I told you so, I told you we'd come good, blah, 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 because we haven't achieved anything yet, right? We're, we're not at that point yet. But I, I just, the, the point I kept making at the time was when change happens and when you are without key players, and I know a lot of clubs have to deal with this, but when that stuff rears its ugly head, A, the need for change. Granite Xhaka wanted to go, right? He wanted to go. We needed to make that change. Maybe not with Kai Havertz. Maybe we could have gone and got someone who was going to need less of a transitional period, um, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of learning a new role and all the rest of it. But I think we kind of, should have realized at the time that there was going to be some teething problems, that it wasn't going to be as free-flowing as it is maybe today, right at the beginning. And because we'd set the bar so high last season, I think people were very quickly, were very quick, sorry, to go, well, they're not as good as they were last season. Let's criticize them. Whereas with Liverpool, there was an upturn. And so that naturally generates a bit more praise. But you're right. Like it, you're right to highlight that we've been through a lot of change as well. And you're right to highlight that people have been way less tolerant of Arsenal's slight dip as a result of that change in comparison to how they've talked about Liverpool over the last couple of years. Odredek says, Harry, Trossard was fantastic today, but did you notice that he plays some risky passes at times? Yeah, I mean, Leandro Trossard playing in that role where he's there to create and there to score goals is going to take risks with what he does. I always, I always remember um, having a conversation with someone a long, long time ago about Alexis Sanchez. And we were arguing, basically. This, this guy, a friend of mine, was telling me that Alexis Sanchez wastes possession, wastes the ball, takes too many risks in possession. And I always used to sit there and go, oh, come on, man. The guy's our best player by a country mile. If we're going to win a game, nine times out of ten, it's because Alexis Sanchez turned up. 
it's because Alexis Sanchez took the game by the scruff of the neck and made something happen himself because he's that good. And the team around him, maybe with the exception of Mesut Ozil at one point, you know, what wasn't anywhere near the top level. And he then produced a statistic which highlighted that his passing accuracy and kind of ball retention rate was really, really low. And I looked at that and I was firstly taken aback by it, shock, surprise, all the rest of it. But then I thought about it and I thought, well, if you're trying to play the blockbuster pass all the time, if you're trying to play the killer pass all the time, of course your passing accuracy is going to be lower than someone who sits at the base of your midfield and who never gives it away. Why? Because they never, ever try anything risky because in their position, it could be fatal if you do so. So, yeah, he tries risky passes, but in his role, he's got the license and the freedom to do that is the point that I'm trying to make. And, and you don't break teams down without trying those things. Um, so I've got no issue with it. I've got no problem with it. I think most of the time he executes them really, really well. And I think he's he's been great in the last couple of games where he's been playing. Jean Pretorius says, with white inverting, it means Gabriel is the central defender in the three, whereas when it's Zinni, Saliba is the central one. Do you think that slight shift helps the one playing central to stand out? It's a really, really good question. I, this is why I love you guys, right? Because I get top quality questions like this. This is a well thought out, um, you know, really intelligent question. John, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate this. I love stuff like that. I love sinking my teeth into this type of talk. Um, do I think that it makes the central one of the three stand out? Well, yeah, um, I, I do. I think there's a lot of validity that, to that point because I think when you're the, the central one, as Saliba is when Zinchenko plays, you will be the one a lot of the time to sweep up and to clean up because very rarely do a team attack you straight through the middle. The whole point of kind of shifting into that narrow defensive three is to kind of usher teams into those wide areas until you can get more bodies back and then you can start to spread your defensive unit across a wider part of the pitch. So, yeah, the one in the middle will often be the one that either comes across to help out the left-sided centre-back or cover him should he be beaten. And he'll also be the one that goes across to the right. Whoever plays the central position of that three in that particular game state needs to be really, really alert and needs to be switched on to cover those right and left of them. But yeah, as I say, they'll often be the sweeper. They'll often be the one that goes across and protects. And as a result of that, they're most likely to be the one that pinches the ball back. And then, of course, they look great, don't they? Uh, N17 Gunner says, uh, big up Cedric Suarez, man for the 5 nil up job. Yep, indeed. Uh, M says, hit the likes and subscribe, folks. Uh, let's get to 200. Yep, we're not far off of 200. Um, we're not far off at all. And of course, if you're listening on audio, guys, please do. Uh, leave me a review. It really, really, really does help. Uh, the more reviews, the more support, the more um, the more I can do, basically, because the better the channel goes, the more it benefits me and the more I can spend time on this rather than any other freelance gigs. Um, okay. Tom says, would you keep the same starting 11 for the Porto game? I'd be happy to see it, even if Jesus and Tommy are confirmed fit again. This is really, really interesting because 
there's a part of me that looks at FC Porto and goes, we're a lot better than them. And we shouldn't be compromising our style for them. Because I think we're a better side than them. But we also know that that's not how it works in the Champions League. We know that it can be a lot more complex than that. And we know that the occasion could be a bit of a problem for us. Because, look, we haven't been in the knockout stages of the Champions League. And we're going to do a special episode, by the way, on Arsenal's exploits in the knockout stages of the Champions League. We haven't been in this stage for a long, long time. There isn't that experience there. There's a few players in our group that have been there and done it before. But generally, as a team, we don't have that experience. The last thing I want us to do is go to Porto and get turned over because we were too brave and too bold and didn't pay FC Porto the respect that they deserved. But equally, if we go there and they're not that good, then I'm going to be underwhelmed if we don't come back with a lead for the second leg at Emirates Stadium. I would be tempted because of the fact that we're away from home first and people are going to shoot me down for this to take one of Havertz or Trossard out of the side and bring Jorginho in alongside Declan Rice. I would be tempted to do that for the away leg. If he picks the same 11 as he has at Burnley and at West Ham, I won't be complaining because when you turn in a 6-0 on a 5-0, then, you know, if the manager wants to persist with that team, you kind of got to say, fair enough, mate, you've earned your crust here, no problem. But there's a part of me that would make that slight tweak, I think, because I've been to the Dragao this year. I've seen them play. They've done really well in their Champions League group to get through. It's going to be packed to the rafters. And I think at points in that game, we're going to need a bit of calm. We're going to need a bit of control in terms of, you know, maybe being able to hold the ball and, and weather storms. Because, listen, we're not going to go to the Dragao and win 5-0. Like, it's not going to happen. We're going to go there. We're going to be up against a really competitive side. This is going to feel like a cup final for us. It's going to feel like a cup final for them too. And when you think about the way that the rest of Europe views the Premier League, or they're the ones with all the money, you know, there's always that little extra bit of motivation from those sides to go out there and prove that they can compete with the likes of Arsenal and Manchester City, et cetera, et cetera. I was going to say at Newcastle and Manchester United, but they're both out of the Champions League, aren't they? So, yeah, I, I think that would be the one change I, I would make. Okay, uh, what else have we got? Uh, Steve Stone on the player rating says uh, that he dropped Saka a point for that needless yellow card. He could have stayed on and got a hat-trick if he stayed on for the full 90. Small details count. I'd have liked to have seen him go off anyway because I want him fresh for Porto and also we've got Newcastle to come on Saturday as well so we play away in Europe on a Wednesday and then we're back at it on Saturday in the Premier League so I'm fine with him being protected in terms of his minutes but I agree with you the yellow card was pointless at the same time in the heat at the moment I can understand the frustration because I didn't think he committed a foul there um, in the incident that led to all of that uh, what else have we got Salah Hadeen says Harry our counter press seems to be the best in Europe how many times do we win it back within seconds of losing it? Thoughts? I don't know that there's a statistic out there to have a look at this, to be honest, but based on the eye test, it seems like we win the ball back really, really quickly a lot of the time. And we did that a lot in the first half of this game today. And it's why we were able to strangle 
uh, Burnley for large periods of it because every time they got it back, you just heard the groans from within Turf Moor because it, they, they felt that they diverted the danger and bang, um, it's, it's, it's Arsenal back on the ball this time in and around their penalty area and they're struggling. Galvo says, uh, with two games a week, I assume we will need to rotate, assuming uh, we don't get, uh, sorry, assuming that we do get some of the injured players back. Who do you see being the crucial rotating players? Well, Tommy Asu's not been in the squad still. So is he going to come in and play left back? I don't think so. I think you're going to have to leave the defence as it is. And I'm also not a big fan of rotational defences. There's a one part of the pitch that you want to try and keep the same. Um, midfield, I mean, yeah, I'd probably bring in Jorginho, which I which I've explained more so for tactical reasons than to be rotating. If I then do that, do I leave Havertz out or do I leave Trossard out and put Havertz up front because I don't think that Jesus is going to be available? This is the question. It's like I don't want to leave any of them out after the performances they've turned in today, but. Yeah, maybe one of those two could be rotated for sure. I, I think you want um, Martinelli in the side because you want his pace and the fact that it gives you an outlet um, and, and you feel like that would cause a continental side more so uh, problems. Okay, what else have we got? Mikey says, how do you anticipate Jesus and Fabio Amio Vieira, that is dovetailing into the team. And do you believe, like I, that their level would be as elevated as the rest of the squad is at the moment? Look, I think we're going to need all of these players over the course of the season, right? So we want to get them all back in. We want to get them all involved again. And I think that Fabio Vieira is a lot more talented than what we've seen of him at Arsenal so far. I think that Gabriel Jesus is massive. Uh, when he's at full fitness, but obviously that hasn't been the case for a little while because this knee thing has been ongoing. And I think they've got big parts to play. I'll tell you what's another point, though, that I, I don't think I touched on when we were kind of reviewing the game. Does anyone else find it interesting that Emil Smith-Rowe wasn't in that group of the first three subs that come on? And does anyone find it interesting he wasn't even in, like, he wasn't even the fourth change. Jorginho then comes on. And then he comes on with six minutes to go. Was it a case of Mikel Arteta protecting him again because he's just come back from an injury and just trying to get a few minutes under his belt? Or was it a case of Mikel Arteta saying, look how well Havertz is playing, look how well Trossard's playing, look how well the midfield's working, Odegaard's back to his best, Rice is imperious as he always is. And actually... You've fallen down the pecking order again. I, I, I don't know whether I should be reading into that or not. Um, perhaps it was a, a, about the fact that he's just come back and maybe the minutes needed to be limited. But yeah, interesting. Um, Robbie says, uh, hi, Harry. Gratitude for an evening pod. Um, you're welcome, man. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Uh, are the players and staff shining more since the Liverpool self-belief because of the level of the opposition? Um, of our last two of our last two outing sorry because of the level of the opposition in our last two outings or does that just pad the fact that the team has finally had into had time to integrate his cycles and tactics i think it's a bit of both i think the i think the fact that we beat liverpool it gave us that self belief and confidence that 
actually, although we kind of know that we've been a bit underwhelming up until that point in the season, and and maybe there was calm within the camp, people thinking, yeah, you know, we know we've got gears to shift up into. That was the first moment where I think people kind of went, yeah, you know what? Arsenal are right back in this. Arsenal can do this now. And the confidence that that's brought. And that's a lot to do with the mood and the feeling in the dressing room. And when Arteta celebrates the way Arteta celebrates and when Arteta makes a big deal of things the way he does, I've always said to you, and I, and I said it after the Liverpool game, it's deliberate. It is deliberate because he's trying to ride the wave of that feel-good factor. And if you can ride the wave of that for a period of time, it means confidence is going to be at a high level. And if confidence is sky high, the likelihood of you going out and performing close to your best every week is, is far more likely. So there is, there is something deliberate about the celebrations, about the way he acts on the touchline, the way he's constantly nagging people, urging people on, demanding absolute perfection, even when you're 5-0 up in the 90th minute. That was something I noticed today. It's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think the fact that people have uh, started to click with one another, relationships are developing that maybe weren't there uh, in the past, and the fact that, of course, uh, confidence is there, that both of those things make a, a real difference. Uh, CM War Games uh, says, great weekend, the women beating United, the men beating Burnley, Spurs losing and City dropping points. It's been fantastic, hasn't it? As I said, it wasn't perfect because Liverpool obviously got all three points, but Big shout out to the Arsenal women's side as well, because that was a, a great win today, a really good performance. But also as well, to get 60,000 for a WSL game um, at the Emirates Stadium is really something. To get the first ever sellout at the Emirates Stadium for a WSL game is brilliant. And it just shows you how big this club is. And Arsenal have always been at the forefront of the women's game. They've done a lot of work um, over the years and, and been the exemplary club in that in that particular field. So it's great to see that kind of paying off. Like Arsenal are a massive global football club anyway, but to now see the the size of the fan base on the women's side constantly increasing as well. And I know women's football in general is on the up and, and that's great, but to see it specifically coming through with Arsenal, it's just, you know, it fills you with pride, doesn't it, as an Arsenal supporter. It's brilliant to see. Really, really is. Um, what else have we got in the chat? Let's take a couple more uh, before we start thinking about wrapping up. I'm really tired. I've mentioned to you guys my back, done my back in. I'm tired, and sitting on this chair is it's not not doing me the world of good. But anyway, um, nobody cares. They just want to continue with the pod. Uh, guys, can we get to 250 likes? We're not a million miles away from that, and I'd really really appreciate it. Uh, if we could, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new as well. That really, really, really um, does help. It, it, it just makes the world of difference, as I've explained uh, on numerous occasions. Okay, Odradek, love this. If I was Mbappe, what would you say to convince me to join Arsenal? Hmm. What would I say to Kylian Mbappe? If I were in a room with Kylian Mbappe and I had to sell him the Arsenal project, what would I say? I would say, let's fucking go, guys. Come on. Um, I mean, I would say to him, look at the chances that this side creates. Look at the football we play. Look at how dominant we are. Look at how much we've progressed over the last couple of years. And I'd kind of go back on what I've been saying 
earlier on in the pod and I'd say, imagine what we could do with a 25, 30 goal a season striker. You could be that. <laughs> That's what I do to try and uh, to try and convince him. And um, look, it's not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is not because Arteta or Arsenal be turning their noses up at him. I just don't think financially this is something that the club can make work. Um, people have wondered why Paris Saint-Germain allowed it to get to the stage where they were going to lose Kylian Mbappe on a free transfer. And although PSG have some responsibility there and should be held accountable for that, of course, the truth is that Kylian Mbappe always wanted to run down the contract because if you run down your contract you then have the freedom and the choice with regards to where you go next and not only that rather than there being an exchange of a significant amount of money in the form of a transfer fee between Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain instead Kylian Mbappe's representatives will now be talking to Real Madrid and saying guys that we're available we haven't got a contract. We can go wherever we like. When your stock is as high as Kylian Mbappe's, you can do this kind of thing. And you can say, okay, you're not going to pay for for me. You're not going to, you're not going to buy me from Real Madrid, which probably would have cost you 200 million quid in today's market. Instead, throw us a, a 30 million pound signing on fee. Maybe over the course of my contract, whatever. And all of a sudden you're in a position where as a player, you can now demand money. Okay, it'll be less money, but it's money that goes directly to you and your people rather than it being money that is exchanged between the two clubs. And that is why when your stock is really, really high as a footballer, there is an incentive to run your contract down. When you're as rich as Kylian Mbappe, when you're as talented as Kylian Mbappe, you hold all the cards. And he'll demand one hell of a signing on fee when he joins Real Madrid, because I really do expect that to happen. And it will be on astronomical wages as well. And I don't think Arsenal have given us any indication that they're willing to go that big on a player. I didn't even think they'd spend 100 million on Declan Rice. So to be fair, they've exceeded my expectations once. But would they go that extra mile to get someone like Mbappe? We all know he'd be a brilliant signing. And we all know that he would take Arsenal to the next level. He'd do that to any team because he's that good. But if I was trying to convince him, I'd be trying to convince him based on footballing reasons. Best league in the world. We're punching right at the top of it. We're competing for it. All the ingredients of a really successful team for a long period of time are there. We've got a great defence. We've got a powerhouse in midfield in Declan Rice. We've got probably the best creative midfielder in Europe at the moment in Martin Odegaard. We've got two explosive wingers who you could interchange positions with. And we've got a young, hungry manager who's getting better and better and better every single season. Yeah, it's um, that that would be my pitch. That would be my pitch. It'd be based on the footballing reasons and leave the financials to the likes of Richard Garlic and all the rest of them. Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, guys, I think I am going to leave it there. Um, I am happy, but quite tired at the same time. Um, it's been a, a really positive day, obviously. Thank you uh, to everybody that joined us uh, on the pod live this evening. Uh, amazing to see so many of you with me. If we could get to that 250, 
uh, likes target by the time the stream ends. That would be amazing. Thank you so, so much uh, for tuning in, whether you're watching on playback or listening on audio or, or whatever. Um, really, really appreciate your support on this podcast. It's growing all the time. It's, it's amazing. Um, it's an amazing community. And when I get quality questions like the ones I've had tonight, it's just just makes the pod it it makes solo podcast impossible is what i wanted to say um so thanks again for all your love for all your support and i'll see you all uh next time until then take care of yourselves have a good one